This is Edge of the Box, a podcast brought to you by whoscored.com. Hello, welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com in association with Bet Victor. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined as ever by Jonathan Wilson, and this week we've got Josh Wright from Who Scored filling in for Martin Lawrence. The reason Martin's not here is because he needs to serve a one-match ban after hundreds of complaints about his tackle breakdown last week. Boring stuff, no one wanted to hear it, so we've given him the week off. Jonathan, come to you first. The week you call me the Mason Mount of podcast hosting... Mason Mount scores a hat trick. No coincidence yeah. there. No I, I coincidence. I mean, I, 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 see, I, I, I think that was one of those compliments that not only gave you a boost, but it gave Mason Mount a boost. Exactly. He yeah, thought we know he's a big listener. I'm the Dan Bardell of people who just sort of float around in midfield and do things that others can't see but coaches love. He even got to retake the penalty. Everything was shining down on Mason Mount on Saturday lunchtime, wasn't it? Yeah, it, this was the day when he stopped being a Bailey and became one of those flavors you can actually taste. <laughs> I was you know, say, you know you... my theory he's like the bailey for football that like he's in every recipe but like you don't really know what he does until you take him out and then you realize it's not quite the same if he's not there <laughs> he's in he's in every recipe i'd like it if you could call me like the ollie watkins of podcast hosting this week or the leon bailey <laughs> of podcast hosting this week because villa desperately needs something so if you could do that later on in the show that would be good josh as i say filling in for martin only right after that last week because i mean you were for who scored but you must have found that really boring as well <laughs> yeah, it was. It, it wasn't. Although it did come true, didn't it, with Pogba in his uh, poor tackle um, yeah. in the Liverpool game? So maybe he had his finger on the pulse there as well. He still didn't need that. That. But far nobody, got, nobody got to that bit. Right? <laughs> Every, everybody's brain just shut down in the first <laughs> ten minutes of that eight-hour monologue on what is and what <laughs> yeah. is tackle. I've only just woke up from it. I've, I've been listening to it every night before I go to bed. I've played play Martin's voice explaining that to him. It's really, really helped. Let's get on to the previews then. We're going to start with Leicester against Arsenal. And of course, the first bullet point in the script is Arsenal very good versus Villa. So I'll let you talk about that, Josh. Yeah, they were. I mean, that was probably one of the Villa's worst first half or half of, half of football that you can probably remember, Dan, in recent times. It, it wasn't great. Yeah. I mean, they, they certainly gave Arsenal a lot of encouragement and um, Arsenal just seemed to grow into the half. I think Arsenal had 14 shots to Villa's zero in the first half. Um, and if John McGinn's role at corners was to to not jump and turn away, he nailed that because Thomas Partey had a field day up against him. Um, I was really impressed with Alexandre, Lac- Alexandre Lacazette as well. Um, he, it was surprisingly, it was his first start of the season, but he was really in the thick of things. If he wasn't committing fouls, he was winning fouls. Obviously, he won the penalty as well, um, but he was just a really disruptive presence. And um, Arsenal, after a really tough start, seemed to be cu- coming around under Mikel Arteta. I'm going to sound like a bitter and twisted Villa fan here, Jonathan, but I actually just think Villa were crap. Actually, yeah. I, don't, I think Arsenal have been played up a little bit. Villa were, I cannot overstate how rubbish Villa were. Totally you, I, I think any team would have done what Arsenal did against us because we were that bad. Well, Arsenal took advantage. You've got to give them credit for that. And, and, and they are definitely better than they were two months ago. Um, we've said this, or we've seen this before with Arteta, that they have good spells and they have bad spells. And it seems to be not a huge amount of logic and consistency there. But, you know, I was at the Villa game against Spurs and I thought Villa were terrible that day. And there's a lot of people going, oh, yeah, Nuno sorted out. Don't really think he has. I think he's just played against a bad mm. team. But I don't quite work out why that's happened with Villa because that Spurs game was coming off the back of the win at Old Trafford. Um, so why this has suddenly gone wrong for them uh, with that game, the Arsenal game, and 
I guess the Wolves game was a bit different in that they, they played quite well for 80 minutes and chucked it away. Um, but yeah, that's two really, really bad performances in London in the last three weeks. So yeah, Arsenal were okay. Give them credit for that. They clearly are getting better. Um, but Villa had a huge part in their own downfall there. Yeah, Leicester have picked up as well, actually, haven't they, Josh? That they had a bit of a bad, tough start to the season that they've picked up. Arsenal have picked up, so this should be a good game at the weekend. You've got the player form guide there. I think Tillemans and and Smith Rowe that they're both featuring heavily in that now. Yeah, oh, so I'll just run through the top ten just so we have an understanding of where they both fit in. So kicking off at, in tenth place is Rafinha, and then Emil Smith Rowe, Diogo Jota, Joshua King, Ivan Tony, Yuri Tillemans, Bernardo Silva in fourth. And then the top three are Trent, Alexander-Arnold. Matteo Kovacic has come in. He's gate-crashed the top ten. And perhaps a bit unsurprisingly, Salah has strengthened his um, hold on first after last weekend. But yeah, Tillemans and Smith-Rowe really come into this nicely. Um, Tillemans, lesser a stranger, I, I find. They're, I don't think they're playing... Well, they haven't really been playing amazingly all season, but Tillemans has come up with bits of magic recently. He's had back-to-back who scored man-of-the-match performances. He obviously scored that... Um, the amazing goal against Manchester United and followed that up with another one against Brentford. Um, but you just think um, the results have picked up, but then if you think about the moments that have changed the games, it's always been a bit of a moment of magic. So it's hard to really read into Leicester at the moment because they're still defensively, they're still not too good. I was thinking about Tillemans last night, Jonathan, and I was thinking if I was to pick a Premier League 11 of what, you know, not based on algorithms and you know who you like and things like that. If I was to pick one based on what I think would be the most balanced team and the most would be the most successful team in the Premier League, there's two midfielders who I think I'd I'd have in front of the back four, and I'll come on to the other one later. But Tillemans would would be one of them. I think I, I think he's that good. Yeah, I think I agree with you in, in that role of being a slightly more creative, deeper line player. I think he needs a you know a, a tackler, a more physical presence mm. alongside him. Uh, although he you know he's, he's not he's weak. Um, but you know, somebody who who can dictate the play from there, who's capable of getting forward and scoring goals. You know, I think he's he's really good at that, and that's why his partnership with Ndidi has been so important in the past. And I think there is, I mean, there are still defensive issues clearly, but uh, his partnership with Samare, I think, is is promising. You know, I, was re- I hadn't really seen much of Samare um, before last Saturday. You know, sorry, before the Saturday before last the uh, the the Leicester United game. Um, and I noticed that on the list of worst performing new signings, he was in that top 10, which surprised me. But I'm basing it on one game, but he was very good in that game. So, so yeah, I'm a big fan of Tillemans. I don't think I am overstating him there, Josh. You know, he, he, he's a fantastic footballer. Like Jonathan says, he, he does a little bit of everything. He pops up with, with worldy goals. He scored a couple of great goals in the last few weeks. You think back to the cup final at the end of, of last season as well. Are you surprised that he's not been snapped up by an, another team? Because he's been knocking around at Leicester for a while now. Yeah, for sure. I think when, when the move came about, I think there was, uh, I believe I'm right in saying that Tottenham were interested, but they didn't, for some whatever reason, didn't step forward with it. And then obviously Leicester, Leicester got it over the line. I think it was on loan to start off, wasn't it? And then they made it permanent. Yeah. But but yeah, he especially in the big games, he always seems to be the man that has the defining moment for Leicester when they, when they sort of win those big games. Um, and there's a couple of Leicester players who I've thought, why haven't, well, not that they, why haven't they moved on, but why hasn't anyone shown any interest in it? In Diddy as well, but Tillemans for sure, I think, has been more consistent, especially this season. Um, and even with um, in Diddy out injured at the moment, he still managed to, to carry to Leicester to a certain extent. Um, but yeah, I would be really surprised if he wasn't high up on the list of some transfer 
some clubs this summer. And you've got a combined eleven there, Josh. I'm presuming Tillemans features in it. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, we'll come on to that in a second. Um, but yeah, he is definitely in there. Yeah, go on and give me a combined eleven. Okay, um, so it's a four. I think you might like this one actually. It's a four-three-one-two. Um, we've got Aaron Ramsdale in goal. We've got Ricardo Pereira at right back with Castagna at left back, and then the centre backs are Ben White and Gabriel. Um, and in a midfield three of Thomas Partey, Wilfred and Diddy, and Yuri Tillemans, and then Emil Smith Rowe, who I would be shocked if wasn't in the next England squad, especially with Jesse Lingard not playing at all. Um, and then yeah, so Smith Rowe is behind Jamie Vardy and Abamyang. I don't think if there's any notable absences. Saka, I guess. Saka. Is, is yeah. Um, yeah. Jonathan, did, did you do an 11, Jonathan? I did, but I only picked players who mm-hmm. are not injured. Uh, yeah, and okay. I picked one that, that, that's actually coherent uh, <laughs> and doesn't have two centre forwards. Um, <laughs> so mine was uh, back three. So Schmeichel in goal. Um, but uh, yeah, Ram says obviously he's been very good this season, but Schmeichel just for consistency over a protected period. Uh, Gabriel Tierney and Evans as your back three. Uh, Tierney obviously to the left of that, and Evans to the right. Uh, Castagna and Pereira as the wing backs. Uh, hang on, I've picked 12 players in this team. It's going to be a problem, you're not going to be able to do that. Yeah, no, that's fine, that's fine. Sorry, Tielemans and Samara at the back of midfield, and then Smith Rowe and Saka uh, behind Patson Daka because Vardy is a doubt for this game. A Saka Daka pairing. <laughs> yeah, that does it rolls off the tongue very, very nicely. Yeah. So you're not, but, you're not happy with Josh's turn, well, who scored two? No, I, I just I, I just think a four three one two is a bit. Uh, yeah, you sit on Smith Rowe and that it's quite hard for them to create. Then they haven't got much width. Um, quite like your Tierney at left centre back. I've got to say, I'm a, I'm a fan of full backs playing on the outside of a back throw. Yeah, well, he's, he's, he's before. done it before as well. Yeah, yeah. and he's he's decent at it. He's he's got the physical capacity as well, and that then allows you to have Castagna bombing on down that left side in my team. The only concern with Daka is, and you know, this is based on a tiny amount of evidence because I'm not going to pretend I saw him much or indeed at all before he joined Leicester. He does only seem to score one type of goal. I mean, he's scored quite a lot of them in the last couple of weeks, but you know, he, he, he needs a little angle pass that he runs onto. I mean, okay, his goal against United, so he bundled in at the back post, but um, I don't know if he needs the ball in front of him. That would be my only slight question about him, but yeah, probably needs to run in the team as well. You'll probably probably get that now if they stick with two up front. And if you like, you say Vardy's a doubt. There's every chance yeah. of getting running the team now, which I think is always important for new players. It's hard being bitty and coming in and out. Yeah, absolutely. And um, maybe if, if Vardy's fit, maybe he places Ianacho on on present form. So yeah. I mean, it's good. He's great for Leicester. They got three of them, especially given and yeah, I, I I know we've been saying this for five years, but there will come a point at which Vardy can't keep playing every week at that pace. No. No, it's coming. It's coming. It'll probably be another 10, 10, 15 years away, but but we definitely know it's coming. Josh has alluded to, to Leicester still being a bit of a mess at the, at the back, Jonathan. They, I guess they can't. They just can't get a settled a settled lineup going. But they've gone to this back three now, which which would probably I think always help. If you're having a bad time defensively, although that's not worked with Villa at all. If you're having a bad time defensively, sometimes going to a back three does solidify you a little bit. Against United, they were lucky to let in two. To be honest, there were two really really good goals that conceded. Um, but you're right, the last four games, they've scored 12, let in eight. So it's great to watch, great for a neutral, but that will be a concern. Um, and obviously the, the absence of Fafano and Justin uh, and Ndidi is, 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 you know, is, is largely responsible for that. So I wouldn't worry too much on the grounds that it is largely injury dependent. And I think there are signs of Soyuncu's starting to come back into form at last. 
It seems like his his mind was completely shot at the Euros, and he hasn't quite recovered Bad Euros. yet. Yeah, um, but he was he was a, he was a bit better against United, I thought. Johnny Evans coming back in as well, Josh, the stalwart. He always lets to look better when, when Johnny Evans is there. Vestergaard's a player I'm always a little bit unsure of. He never looks quite right to me. But Johnny Evans, as long as he's playing, you know, Leicester will pick up. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I think he's only he started two games this season, hasn't he, in the league, um, but owing to injury and, and stuff like that, which he, he always seems to have an injury problem at some point in the season. But yeah, on Yannick Vestergaard, he came in. They paid a decent a bit of money for him, but Daniel Armati is getting the team ahead of him at the moment. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, in, strangely, Leicester have actually conceded the most shots um, this season, which is quite impressive to have conceded more than Norwich, who haven't won this season and um, have conceded at least five in two of those. So, yeah, there's still things to sort out for, for Leicester at the back. They can't quite get the balance between midfield uh, defence and attack right this season and obviously in Diddy not being there's a blow but they they weren't watertight when he was there at the start of the season so yeah but Rogers has got a few things to sort out um, if they're to start winning convincingly very clever Brendan Rogers does come up with new systems when things aren't working so I'd back him to sort it out we've we got a bet for this game uh, yeah we do um, so the first the first tip that we've had boosted by bet Victor this weekend is um, from 22 to 1 to 28 to 1 I mean, there's four legs to it, so I'll just run through those now. We've got both teams to score. It's happened in seven of Leicester's last eight games. Um, we, we're back in Aubameyang to score. He scored in seven of his last eight. And then the final two legs are Johnny Evans to be carded. I know we just praised him, but he does like to get carded. He's done. He's been booked six times against Arsenal in the past. Um, and we've also gone for, to finish it off, Arsenal to have six-plus corners. And they are averaging seven a game this season. So... Both teams to score, Aubameyang to, to be one of those to score, Johnny Evans to be carded and Arsenal to have at least six corners. And that's been boosted from 22 to 1, from 22 to 1 to 28 to 1. Let's cover our predictions then. I'll start with you, Jonathan. 2-2. Uh, uh, we've gone for one all. one all. And yeah, just to be different, I've gone for Leicester to win 2-1. Come on, Leicester. Yeah. Move, move, I don't, I don't like going for 2-2. I sort of feel if I'm going for a score draw, just go 1-1 because that's much more common. But... Neither of these teams are that good at the back, so... Yeah, they'll be goals in that game. You, yeah. You've got to be almost... That, that uh, both teams that. to score just feels like almost nailed on. Let's do the just a minute section then. And as always, we will start with a recap of last week. I'll be honest, I did have a brief look over the week. I'm not 100% sure how it went, actually. Uh, you've, I think you took inspiration from George because you did the best again last week. You've cut no. Jonathan Leeds... No. Jonathan... I didn't do great, though. But that, no, I was yeah. going to say the, the, the bar was low, but yeah, you did do the best. Um, you've cut Jonathan's lead to four points now. Um, so Jonathan's ahead on 66. You're on 62. And who scored? I've got a little bit of work to do. We're back at, We're back in 50 on 56 points. So oh a, little bit, uh, a little bit of work to oh, do. Oh, where, where, where's your algorithm now? Yeah. Yeah, well, the, I would say the, the problem is there's a lot of us that put in our, our predictions and then we have to come to a, a compromise in the scores. So maybe that's not the best the best method. No, I think the person that's on the show that week, should, should that, they, should, they should take precedent because they're the one that's got to deliver it and they're yeah. the ones that look stupid the next week. Mind <laughs> you, you could make a load of predictions this week and then not be on next week. I have never. I was watching the Manchester City-Brighton game and I had Manchester City to win 3-1. When Mares scored in stoppage time to make it 4-1, I was absolutely soothing. There's just no need. There's just no need for it. 3-1 away was a good prediction. It just ruined in stoppage time, although I did... Leeds getting the stoppage time penalty did give me the only one that I got correct, I think. The only one I got bang on, so I can't have too many complaints. But cancelled out, not fair. Do one, Mares. Absolutely not. Let's do the just a minute then. So we will start with 
I'm trying to work out who we will start. We're going to start with you, Josh. You got yeah, I like it this week. Because normally I have you to got one of, less. Uh, yeah, I confused. One more. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's nice. Yeah. I'm, I'm being spared the burden for once. <laughs> yeah. Did Martin still do the script and just decide that because he wasn't there that who's the, the who scored representative was going to do more because he's never no, done more. That was me. I did the script. Oh, you wanted to. No. You I, wanted I, to work. I, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. No you problem. I thought I'd take on an extra extra game, extra minute. Liverpool didn't need to be at their best last weekend to demolish Man United 5-0, and it really could have been 7 or 8. Um, Jürgen Klopp was vindicated in decisions to start Ibrahim Konate and Diogo, Diogo Jota ahead of Joel Matip and Sadio Mane, and he'll have the same selection headache this weekend. Klopp continues to work wonders with a relatively thin squad, and he's being tested to the max at the moment. Naby Keita and James Milner have both joined a lengthy injury list in midfield, with Thiago and Harvey Elliott already unavailable. With Thiago also struggling... It, he is going to be short there in midfield and we could see a rare start at Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Um, after a strong start to the season where Brighton argu arguably got results their performances didn't necessarily deserve, things have balanced out of late for Graham Potter's side. They are winless across their last five and were well beaten by Manchester City last weekend in a 4-1 home defeat. As ever, it's hard to predict what side Graham Potter will put out, but they practically have a full-strength squad now um, and will be all the better for Adam Webster's return particularly as Dan Burn picked up an injury himself in midweek. Unbeaten in all competitions this season and flying off the back of a big win over United, it's hard to look beyond a comfortable Liverpool win. And we've gone for 3-0 to Liverpool. Snap. I've gone for 3-0 Liverpool as well. Yeah. And Jonathan? Yeah. Have you gone 3-0? Yeah. yeah this, this was what I was talking about with Brighton on the way down. Told you they were <laughs> going to finish bottom three. It's coming. That, that, no, it's, it's, it's uh, absence of Basim has hammered them, hasn't it? Yeah, it's not. He, he's you know, he's not footballer. coming back anytime soon, by the sounds of things. So, no, that, that is that's no coincidence, is it? They, they've, no they, you know, they've, they've lost a lot of drive through midfield, and they um, they don't really have a forward. So, you've got Manchester City and Crystal Palace, Jonathan. Yeah, City, I think, are really clicking into gear now um, after that slightly slow start of the season. Uh, still haven't conceded the goal at home. Uh, three wins and a draw. That draw against Southampton, where they had loads of shots but couldn't score. Um, Palace, I think, are much more hard, much more difficult to call. They've, you know, they've drawn the last four in the league, but I think they've actually been the better side in all, all of those games. They probably should have won them all. Two of them they got done by late equalisers against Brighton against Arsenal. The Leicester game was was very odd that they suddenly were two 0 down um, and, and you know had to fight their way back into it, having been the better team. Um, so I, I think they 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 will score. Um, I, you know, I think City are due to concede one. I think Palace have enough firepower, especially with Benteke. Uh, looking like he's getting back towards something like his best. But they haven't kept a clean sheet in six. Uh, last season, City won this game 4-0, won 2-0 at Selhurst Park. Both teams pretty much at full strength. Uh, Ferentar is missing, Sterling's a doubt. Ebrecheze missing for Palace. Uh, so I'm going to go City to win 3-1. 3-1. I've gone for 2-0 to Manchester City. Josh, what have you scored got? Yep, 2-0 as well. 2-0 Man City. A lot of sames he's going on today. Not good. Especially if I'm predicting the same as who scored at the foot of the table. <laughs> That's definitely not good at all. Newcastle Chelsea for you, Josh. Uh, yeah, okay. So Graham Jones, he stuck with Steve Bruce's 5 3 2 formation in his first game in interim charge. Though he made a couple of surprising selections in Ryan Fraser and Emil Kraft. Kraft actually set up Newcastle, e Newcastle's equaliser against Palace and will hope to keep his place in the team. But Migo Almiron and Joe Willock are pushing to replace Fraser. With no new manager in sight, Jones will continue in temporary charge for the welcome of Chelsea. After thumping Norwich 7-0 last weekend, the heavily rotated Chelsea side needed penalties to beat Southampton in the League Cup. Lukaku and Werner remain big doubts and with the Champions League round the corner are unlikely to be risked. So Kai Havertz should continue after scoring in midweek. 
Thomas Tuchel is hoping to welcome back Aspilicueta and Christensen from injury this weekend, but N'Golo Kante may not be risked as he continues to struggle with niggling injuries. Remarkably, Ben Chilwell is Chelsea's biggest goal threat at the moment after a after a poor start to this, well, a disappointing start to the season for him, he's now scored in all three of his Premier League games in a row. Chelsea won 2-0 home and away to Newcastle last season, and we are backing them to do that again this weekend. 2-0 to Chelsea. 2-0. That's good. I've gone for I've gone for 3-0. 3-0 Chelsea. Jonathan? 2-0 Chelsea. 2-0 Chelsea. Again, another, another sign prediction. Yeah. We seem to be doing worse since we started all going for the same things. It's good for you, I guess. Well, yeah, you, you know me. I'm not somebody who likes to win by... Oh, hang on, no. I'm exactly the kind of man who likes to win by attrition. <laughs> you just want to win. You just want to win. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't matter how you do it. You said about it there, Josh, your doppelganger, Ben Chilwell, in the goals. <laughs> I know. It's weird after his confidence seemed a bit shot, didn't it? Didn't even yeah. get a minute at the Euros, was out of the team at the start of the season, but now all coming good for him. And with Luke Shaw having a bit of a mare, maybe he'll get the England squad spot back. Something about playing left wing back for Chelsea, because Alonso always feels like he's in the goals as well. Yeah, left wing back seems to be a really prolific position for Chelsea. It's Chelsea's defenders in general, I think they've scored they've scored at least 10 goals in the league this season, I think, between them. Yeah, Rudiger in my fantasy team hasn't scored in a... You'll be shot. You'll be shot. I know he did score one. He scored at Spurs, didn't he? I thought he was going to score at the weekend. Didn't Tell he? me more jo- fantasy Jonathan doesn't care about this, yeah. <laughs> I forget that, you know, everyone in the world wants to hear about my fantasy team. It's just Jonathan that's <laughs> not interested at all. I mean, I think people will be more interested in my fantasy team than Burnley, Brentford, Jonathan, but you can do that anyway. I think that's very harsh. I think it's just uh, fascinating. <laughs> Brentford are good. Brentford are good. Well, yes. Although they've lost the last two um, against Chelsea and Leicester. Having... Played play pretty well in both games. Arguably should have won both games. Uh, and I think Burnley have a bit of the same thing going on, that they haven't won yet still this season. Uh, they've drawn three of the last four, which you know I guess suggests things are starting to improve. And they must be under a bit of pressure now. Three points behind Leeds, who will start to get players back, and level with Newcastle, who will start to buy players, um, at least an extent, in, in January. But uh, if you look at the XG, it suggests that Burnley should have double the number of points they've, they've got at the minute. Uh, that would still leave them fourth bottom, so it's not great. But Brentford are the really interesting ones there. The, the XG suggests they should have 17 points, which have them third in the, in the XG table. Uh, so both teams probably aren't quite, do, aren't quite getting the results the performances deserve. Brentford got a lot of uh, injuries or doubts yet, potentially eight players out. Uh, Burnley is missing Dale Stevens. So I'm going to go 1 1. Oh, I've gone 1 1 as well. Who scored? Uh, we have gone for 1-0 to Brent- Brentford. 1-0 so to maybe, Brentford. maybe an opportunity to claw back some points there. I called Burnley to win last week, and obviously they didn't at Southampton, but I feel like the goalkeeper, David Raya, being missing long-term for Brentford, I, I do think that's going to affect them. He's a, he's a very good goalkeeper. So I was very tempted to go Burnley 1-0 again, but alas, I didn't, and I went 1-1. Uh, Watford, Southampton, Josh. After shipping five goals against Liverpool, Watford responded emphatically by scoring five goals themselves in a 5-2 win over Everton last weekend. Joshua King grabbed a hat-trick, but as ever, it will remain impossible to predict how Watford will A, set up and B, perform. It's worth remembering it was only two all with Everton with 10 minutes to go. Emmanuel Dennis has become the first player to reach five bookings in the league this season. He misses out. His absence is a blow as he played a direct hand in three of Watford's five goals as a substitute in 30 minutes. Southampton, they welcome back James Ward-Prowse from a three-match ban and Ralph House and Hutter will hope to have Borja back from a minor knock. With Elie Nussi a fitness doubt and Theo Walcott expected to drop out, there could well be changes on both flanks for Southampton this weekend. Saints pushed Chelsea to penalties in the League Cup in midweek and are unbeaten across their last two in the Premier League. 
They're actually unbeaten in their last six against Watford, so perhaps this is the perfect opponent for them to pick up their first away league win of the season. We're going for a 1-0 Southampton win. I've gone for 2-1 Southampton. 1-1, um, I think. Uh, one, yeah, 1-1. One. That's a great effort from Dennis to become the first player to pick up five bookings as a striker. I know, yes. That, 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 that can't have happened many times before. That is an yeah. un- unbelievable effort. What's he been doing? I don't know, I've yes. seen loads of him. No, me neither. But yeah, I was surprised when I saw he was on five bookings. Yeah, that is a that is a great effort. Jonathan, your last game is Norwich against Leeds. For Leeds, this this completes the set of other teams in the bottom six that have played this season, which I think is is the big worry for them, that they have played a lot of the weaker sides and haven't really got the results. Certainly one win all season. And for that against Watford, they, they, they needed a slightly controversial disallowed goal, although they were the better team in that game. Uh, Norwich, uh, yeah, nothing's going right for them at the minute. Uh, only two points, lost 7-0 last week. Looked totally without desire, without shape, without purpose. They've only scored two goals so far this season. Um, so it's not just defensively they're having problems. They had kept two clean, clean sheets before that Chelsea game, switching to a back three. But without Gibson, now he's suspended. Uh, so they may have to change that. Cantwell's a doubt. Zimmerman's out for them. Uh, Leeds have got the usual list of injuries. Uh, Koch, Ayling, Bamford are all definitely out. Rafinha and Firpo are doubts. But we do have Joe Gelhart who came off the bench to great effect last week. So I'm going to go for Leeds to win 2-1. Um, and if you look at the XG, no, it should have four points more and Leeds three more, but that would have them still 20th and 14th. So, not great. I've gone for Leeds to win 3 1. What have who scored got? We've gone for 1 0 to Leeds. I mean, it would be quite bad if this if they can't get a win here, wouldn't it? Yeah, you'd think they'd go to Norwich and win. You would think, but I do feel like Norwich obviously will win at some stage. This does look like on paper one that they could, I would say, even though I've gone 3 1 to Leeds. Did that make sense, what I'm saying? <laughs> Yeah, I know. You mean. They will pick up more points somewhere because teams always do. Hmm. But it is, they're not yeah, good. It, yeah, they're not good. I mean, there's um, somebody I know who had a bet on them, a Norwich fan, Norwich season ticket holder, to score fewer than 20 goals a season. Put that bet on in May. So, two from what, nine games so far? Yeah. It's looking pretty good. Yeah, good bet. Yeah, decent bet. That is a good bet. I bet they've got good odds on that as well. I would say less than 20 is. Very, so very I, I think it was. I think it was a ten of two hundred to one. I think. I think that's right. Wow, yeah. that's a good, a decent bet. It might, might, be, might be twenty quid at hundred to one, but I think. I think it's a ten of a two hundred to one. He stands a chance. He definitely stands a chance. The way they've started, I know. I know a few Norwich fans, and they're, they're just not happy at all. I, I know Daniel Farker's done a, done a great job there, but they've. You know, arguably doing worse than they did last time they were in the Premier League. They definitely won by now last time. Last time they were well, they beat City, hadn't they? They beat, yeah, yeah. Uh, they beat City. What fifth game of the season was that? Yeah, they're in. They're, they're in big, big, big trouble. Three bigs. They're in. They're in trouble. <laughs> Josh, you finish with with Wolves against Everton. Yeah, so this is the Monday night game. Uh, Wolves are unbeaten in four, and with three wins in that time, they're starting to get the results their performances deserved at the start of the season. Um, the only real concern for Wolves is who plays up front alongside Real Jimenez and summer sign- between summer signing Huang Hee-chan, Adama Traore, Pondonce and Trincao. Um, Traore is still looking for his first goal of the season and will always be called a dribble merchant when who scored a tweet about him. Um, with the Newcastle job vacant and finally with money to spend, Rafa Benitez must be wondering what could have been at St James's Park. Everton fans are probably wondering if, if his eyes are elsewhere after watching their side lose 5-2 at home to Watford last weekend. They've, Everton have actually now lost four of their last six matches and things could start to unravel quite quickly for Benitez. He's not been helped with injuries to key players and Dominic Carvert-Lewin and Abdullah Decore remain out. 
but he at least has Richarlison back. He was he scored off the bench against former club Watford last weekend. With one side looking looks to be moving forward at the moment and the other is going backwards, we think Wolves might nick this one 1-0. One I've gone 1-1. One, one. Jonathan? Yeah, yeah, I've gone 1-1 one, one as well. A Saturday treble based on our tips then, Josh. What have we got? Yeah, we were, we were obviously so close again last weekend. We tipped Antonio oh, I can't remember. to score. I can't remember who got it wrong. <laughs> we, we tipped Antonio to score any time against Tottenham, which he did. Jonathan correctly predicted Brentford-Leicester, both teams to score. And Dan, unfortunately, there was no penalty in the 5-0 Liverpool win over Manchester United. So I wasn't even close to being one, was there? No, there was any moment no. where I thought, oh, that's a penalty. No, there was but, nothing. Man, you can get near Liverpool for a start to give one away. True. But we go again this weekend. Um, Jonathan has picked Liverpool to win to nil against Brighton. Um, We've gone with uh, Man City to win to nil against Crystal Palace. And you, Dan, have gone for Chelsea to win to nil against Newcastle. So the three favourites are the 3pm kickoffs to win to nil. I'll just give a bit of background on each of those. The goals have completely dried up for Brighton of late. They've only scored a penalty across their last three. Um, Eight of Chelsea's nine wins across league in Europe have come without conceding a goal and Man City are yet to concede a home league goal this season um, so that's Chelsea to win to nil Liverpool to win to nil and Man City to win to nil um, Bet Victor that was already an industry leading price but they've kindly boosted that again to 17 to 2 um, so yeah so it's a, a market leader so hopefully that, that one comes in and uh, we're not we're not getting two out of three again this weekend. We need something. We've been we've been on a little bit of a stodgy run. We haven't picked up a full house for a while, mainly because of me. But we, we just haven't picked up a full house for a while. We, have we, we, think, we, we come close most weeks. It's just always always one one leg. I've only got two wrong all season. Uh, that's yeah, incre- incredible. Yeah. That is a, an astonishing record. Uh, plus the one where Martin changed what I wanted to put and went for something that was wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Martin was also wrong. Right. But I'm not going to say credit for. Not going to take the blame for that. <laughs> no, no, no. If in doubt, blame Martin. I actually wanted to go for. I picked. I picked the Liverpool game, but you'd already you'd already done it, Jonathan. But I was going to pick Salah. I wanted Salah and Mane to score for Liverpool. That was going to be what I picked, but I wasn't allowed it. Wasn't you take precedence? Yeah, I think I even if I first, I didn't take precedence. I'd email first. I think even if I'd email first and you'd come in with with yours afterwards for the same game, I think they'd have still yeah. made me change. All I'm saying is, last week I had to do Brentford v Leicester because I was late. Oh, okay. Maybe not then. Maybe that's my inferiority complex kicking yeah. in there. Which is well justified. Like, <laughs> yeah. The results speak for themselves. Yeah. Let's talk talking of inferiority. Then it's Tottenham against United to preview next. Josh, let's just talk to you a little bit because you are a Manchester United fan. What's yeah. your reaction to what's going on at the moment? It was just a nightmare, Louis. Everything you could have thought would be wrong went wrong. I mean, from all the awful, awful goals conceded to Ronaldo having a goal disallowed to a sh- shocking red card challenge and and Solskjaer was lucky Liverpool eased up like considerably at the end it could have been seven or eight uh, De Gea made an amazing save on Trent Alexander-Arnold um he, he Solskjaer shouldn't still be in the job but I mean with that United board they're, they're just clueless aren't they um I, I just can't believe Solskjaer watched that first half against Atalanta in midweek and thought yeah that's going to do really well against Liverpool. Scholes literally dared, dared Solskjaer to try it against Liverpool, and he did. The, the, it was the 4-2-4 again, um, and it was just awful. So in all the fallout, it's, it's emerged that Solskjaer basically told the United players to press, against, press aggressively against Liverpool without ever really working on it in training. And it was clear, clear in the performance that they didn't really know what to do. United made as many tackles as they as goals conceded, so they made five tackles in that game. 
and they they're playing with two defensively inclined players. Jeez, that's um, bad. That's it's terrible. And up the problem is, it's not Ronaldo is obviously a problem up front, but it's not just him. He presses very never really, very rarely does he run for the ball. And then and then you've got Bruno Fernandez who does press but sporadically and in stupid situations which he so the like the goalie will get the ball and he'll just sprint after him aimlessly with no one behind him and it just exposes the rest of the team and like that combination in a, such a crucial area of the pitch must be a nightmare to try and organize a press and it, obviously it's well beyond Solskjaer's capabilities um and you, like in that 424 especially you've got um, Rashford and Greenwood on this occasion who neither of them really track back and and then you've got Fred and McTominay who have to then cover for them and then it just leaves a huge hole in midfield. Time and time again, you, if you watch Manchester United play, you'll just see opposition midfielders or attackers just sprinting like free will down the middle of the pitch. Uh, it's, it's just it's awful. Yeah, Paul Scholes did everything in his power to try and distract away. I know from from Solskjaer at the weekend as as well. I mean, Jonathan, well, how, 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 how did not? I'm not going to ask you about Paul Scholes, but how, how did you? I, see I, I've, you, never, you... I've never sucked a 20 year old daughter's toe. <laughs> No, I don't think many people have. I'm still shocked that he allowed that to go up on on social media. Like, really, she have never sucked a toe. No, me neither. I've been been perfectly honest. Full house, Josh. You ever sucked a toe? Don't know whether this will be allowed to stay in the podcast. <laughs> never. <laughs> um, there we go. Full full house there. But Jonathan, you were. You, I said it would be a cagey one one because that's how those games always are. But you pretty confidently said that Liverpool would rip through Manchester United. Obviously, yeah, I bottled it a bit. I went, you didn't I predict five nil, but yeah. I, I, and the thing is, in my head, I was sort of thinking it could be five nil, but I just didn't have the bottle to go for it. I mean, no one um, ever picks a five nil, really, do they? In a prediction, yeah. we're, we're unlikely to ever see. I mean, the thing is, you, you could. Yeah, you need quite a lot to happen for it to be five nil. Uh, but you know. Given it was four and a half time, it could easily have been. United almost benefited from going back, you know, from going down to ten men because they had to sit sit deep. Yeah, they couldn't sort of keep chasing, and then Liverpool were quite happy just to keep the ball. But um, yeah, there's the loss of discipline. Yeah, Ronaldo could have gone, should have gone, I think, for mm, that. Yeah, uh, that incident with um, uh, Curtis Jones in the, in the uh, first half. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, first half. Um, the, the Bruno Fernandes challenge at the beginning of the second half was, was really nasty, but he got a yellow for, but you know, that was just below the knee. He was studs raised. He was out of control on a, I'm not saying it should have been a red, but on a, on a, it certainly could have been a red. And even that Maguire foul that he got the yellow for, again, I think yellow is probably the right decision, but had it been a red, I'm not sure if I would have overturned it. Um, mm. So to lose discipline like that just suggests everything's fallen apart. And you hear things from within the club, that make you think that that faith has been lost. Uh, you know, a lot of players have lost faith in in Solskjaer. and you know, and that's this that sort of weird limbo situation of does anybody really think this is going to get turned around? You know, does anybody think that you know, what would have to go right for Solskjaer suddenly to start winning league titles? You know, it, it's so many things have to fall into place, um, and what you now have, I mean, I, I, I suspect it won't happen. But I think United have missed opportunities to get good managers in the past by just sort of dithering a bit. So they could yeah, have got Pochettino really and they missed him. Uh, they, they could have got Tuchel and they missed him. Um, and you've now got a, a wealthy Newcastle and you've got Barcelona both looking for managers. So they could miss out on, say, Ten Hag or uh, Conte. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't think Conte would go to Barcelona. That doesn't seem no. a fit to me. Ten Hag does seem a natural fit, although I suspect it's going to be Xavi at Barcelona. Uh, or Gallardo, Gallardo, 
um, when his contract runs out at River Plate. But, you know, there's, there's just a lack of decisiveness, a lack of football understanding. Um, and, and, you know, the in previous seasons, it's been possible to say of Solskjaer, well, at least against the big teams, he's good at sitting them deep and playing on the break. And so last season, they kept in the six games against um, Liverpool City and Chelsea, they kept five clean sheets. And they were, you know, I think five of those games would, or four of those games would draw, four of those games were drawn. But, you know, there was a clear plan there and it, it, it worked. But if you've got Ronaldo there, you can't do that. And then just sort of to airily go, oh, yeah, press high today, lads, without working on it, without any structure. And, you know, that's what sets the best managers apart. I mean, it's how you structure midfield. So my criticism of Solskjaer previously always been he didn't structure midfields from an attacking point of view. But now, because he can't go to the, the sort of easy default of sitting them deep, you know, he's not doing it from a defensive point of view either. So, you know, there's just sort of a drift going on until he goes. The, the midfield situation is beyond a joke now. I can't believe that's that, that's not been sorted out. You were just talking about I mean, that. Imagine, long. imagine, right, okay, imagine they hadn't signed Ronaldo <clears throat> and they'd instead signed Declan Rice and Kieran Trippier. Even if they hadn't signed Sancho, right? So let's mm. make it affordable. You don't sign Sancho, you don't sign Ronaldo, you sign Rice and Trippier, and suddenly you've got a very logical, coherent 3 4 3 that would work. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just relying on Pogba to play in the middle of a three-four-three, but he would have Should a bit more license with a back three behind him. Yeah, I'd say that would that would sue him down to the ground. Actually, so that, that, Pogba that and Rice together Pogba. in the middle, Trippier on one side, Shaw on the other, uh, Maguire, Lindelof, and Varane at the back, and then um, uh, Greenwood, Cavani, Cavani, yeah, Cavani, and that was what I forgot. Yeah, Greenwood, they, they Cavani, and, to start. and Rashford. I mean, Cavani. I, I think it's you know it's not the biggest thing there, but it's, it's such a it's such a shame that the the end of Cavani's career has been wasted. And he can he can press. Yeah, he's a really good player. He's looked after himself really well. He's really sharp. His movement's great. He's he's a proper old school centre forward who can do modern things as well. And he spent the last year or two of his career just sort of drifting around, not getting the game for a bad team. Hmm. Doesn't even get to keep the number seven shirt. Doesn't get to no. doesn't get to do anything. I was just thinking when you were talking about, you know, they've missed the boat on, on certain managers, but they've dithered with Solskjaer or backed Solskjaer. Even Everton in the time that Solskjaer's been there, you know, they've hired Ancelotti and Benitez, two, I would say, elite managers. Manchester yeah, United I mean, really now. Whether you're not, I'm not sure United would want Benitez given his... I know you know what I'm saying. I know, and we'd ne- I know he's never the football, there. But, but, but yeah, no, you're right, you're right. Yeah, It's just it's just a bizarre... Just how they have fallen so badly, Josh. I mean, this is a horrible podcast for, for you to be doing. You must be close to tears but by this yeah. point. I'm not sure even Solskjaer believes that he can turn it around. I was hardly inspired by his post-match. No, it's 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 just really bad, isn't it? Um I mean, I, I, look, I, I looked into who scored ratings from the second half of last season to performances this season just to see how bad the drop-off has been for some players. Um, and the only player that has actually improved, so improved this season compared to last, is, I guess, unsurprisingly, Mason Greenwood, just for the goals that he scored. But apart from that, every other first-team player has regressed. Um, you'll, see, you'll be able to see the numbers on screen um, for the viewers, um, so I won't go through them so detailed with so much detail. But Jaden Sancho and Ronaldo have regressed the most. Um, obviously, they weren't at Man United last season because that so they were playing well elsewhere. But then behind them is Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw, and, and I think it's those two in particular who have been a real cause for concern. Shaw, by his own admission, has not been playing well. I think he was uh, ill and injured at some point. 
But um, Maguire's performance, again, after Leicester was so bad, um, if we just take the Liverpool example, the Liverpool game, for example, for, the, for Liverpool's first goal, he left Shaw in his own. He then collided with Shaw for the Liverpool second, lost Salah for the third and was spun by Firmino for trying to get too tight to him for the fourth. His defending for the third goal, um, like, I just couldn't believe it. It was when the ball spilled out wide to Naby Keita. I have no idea why his first his first reaction was to look at, in the opposite direction. He, so the ball went out to his his left and he looked to his right. And by that point, Salah was gone. Um, there are just so many players that are clearly not playing well and, and Solskjaer just continues to pick them. Uh, I think that was an issue reportedly brought up in the dressing room by, by players. I think uh, Eric Bailly took exception to um, Harry Maguire being picked for the Leicester game when he clearly wasn't fit. Uh, and I would be I'd be amazed if he stuck with most of those players again this weekend. I wouldn't, but it sounds like exactly <laughs> the kind of thing yeah, I'm yeah. I would do at the moment, to be, to be perfectly honest. Unchanged team. I was just thinking as well, I think Harry Maguire might follow who scored on social media. I don't think he will after the, after this podcast. No, that's true, yeah. Don't, don't be putting any graphics up for Harry. No. He does, he I'll hide his name. Yeah. Well, Joe, we're talking about uninspiring things. You know, I watched Tottenham last week against West Ham, Jonathan. Oh. And it wasn't obviously as bad as Manchester United because at least, you know, they did defend to an extent. But that offered absolutely nothing going forward. Literally nothing. Yeah, I, I saw them my first game of the season against City and thought, ah, you know, Nuno's come in immediately. He's given them a structure. They look good on the break. And OK, that's probably a little bit more limited than what Spurs want. But, you know, at least there's something there to build on. And then I saw them in that Villa game. Uh, and obviously, you know, when you're in the stadium, you, you get a much better appreciation of these things. I just thought Villa game was such a low quality game of football. Um, yep, I, and I don't quite know. I don't quite know what's gone wrong. Um, and obviously, partly it's Kane's form, but there's there's just sort of something in the midfield has has stopped clicking. Um, so I, I mean, I, I think this could be a, a pretty. Ho- I mean, it's a fascinating watch because they're two teams who desperately need a win with team managers under pressure. And it's absurd that Nuno's under pressure so early, but he is, and, and, I, and I, I understand why. Um, but I think it'd be quite a bad watch in terms of uh, the level of football played. She's going to sound really stupid. Um, it won't be the first time from me. Uh, I feel like letting Sissoko go was a mistake by Spurs. Because at least he provided some... And I know he's not the most spectacular footballer in the world, but I always felt when he played for Spurs, they looked better. At least provided some energy. Like you say, that midfield, that central midfield, there's a problem there. Yeah, I, th- I think the, the issue with him... And he's, I saw it when he, was, uh, when he was at Newcastle as well, that when he doesn't play well, there is no energy there. And I think he'd stop playing well. And I think there was a sense mm. that maybe age had caught up with him. But the point is, he hasn't been properly replaced. And there's, a, you know, there's something very odd going on there that's not very odd, but just sort of quite sad that you think where they were, it's only, it's only two and a half years since they were in the Champions League final. And I know they've been declining in the league uh, in the build-up to that. But to go from the high of the Ajax game to this the sense of drift and shapelessness, and I don't know where they go from here, because I look at that side, I look at that squad, and apart from Sun, hmm. there's none of them I particularly fancy. Yeah, seeing Spurs in the flesh that same game you were at, Sun was literally the only player on the pitch. Who, Heiberg, who stood up. Yeah, he's a good he's, he's, a, he's a good player, but he needs some... I think he, they're saying about him being a bit more expansive this season because he's got a bit more licence to conform, but I've got to be honest, I'm not seeing that. At all, he's a good, good footballer, great footballer, but Spurs just look awful. Absolutely, even though they were awful in that Villa game that, that they won, except except for Son, they won that game because of Son. Right, let's have the worst combined eleven of all time, then, Josh. 
Unfortunately, that anyone got above a, anyone above a seven in this combined eleven for the season. There's there's not many, honestly. There's not many. It's not not great. Um, so yeah, we've gone for a four-two-three-one in this one. Um, Hugo Lloris in goal. Obviously, De Gea has been much improved this season, but he's still conceding lots of lots of goals. Not not his fault necessarily, but um, yeah, the fact that they're conceding a hell of a lot of goals is not helping his rating. Um, at the back, it's. I don't think the competition at right back is particularly strong at the moment. Uh, Wambasaka just gets it, um, just because he's still making a lot of tackles, inceptions. But he, he's obviously been not—he's not been great. Um, Rafael Varane's coming back this weekend, which is great news for Manchester United. He gets in there alongside Eric Dyer, who I guess people wouldn't really would wouldn't be thrilled about, but he's actually created the joint most clear-cut chances for Tottenham this season, um, which I guess reflects pretty poorly on Tottenham. But yeah, he's in there. So the back four is Wambasaka, Varane, Dyer, and Sergio Regulion. Um, and then in midfield, we've got Hoiberg. And just because he's propped up by the fact that he's got seven assists, Pogba, we this we haven't taken injuries or suspensions into into account, I must say. Um, and then we've got a, a three. So Son's up front, and then the three behind him is Lucas Mora, Bruno Fernandez, and Mason Greenwood. So I'll just run through the team in full. So it's Larice, Wambasaka, Varane, Dyer, Regulion. And then in midfield, we've got Hoiberg and Pogba. And then Fernandez, Lucas Moura, Greenwood and Son. The poor it's, 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 not, it's not a great team. No, no I think, I think you've, obviously people are off form at the moment. But I think you, the way you put the teams together is terrible as well. Yeah. Not, not, not that you did, you did it yourself, but yeah. Jonathan, did, did you do one? I did, and it, it's crap. <laughs> yeah. Give me, give so, me, I mean, well, I went the to the podcast. Goal, but, 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 you know, it was. It, it, it was essentially a you know, 51 49 call. Uh, I think, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's a boring, it's a, it's a boring conversation between two, two keepers who are doing okay. Uh, right back, I really, I mean, I'd pick either, you know, Wambasaka or Emerson. I'm I not went, having Emerson, I'm not having him. I went for Ryan McGuire at centre backs, uh, but that's largely remembering, you know, Maguire as he can be. Uh, went short left back again because I think he can be good. Uh, Hoybe and Skip at the back of midfield, and then Greenwood, Fernandes, and Son, and and Kane. But again, this is sort of remembering players as they should be rather than as they actually are at the moment. Yeah, if you put that team on paper again, if that team played against Liverpool, I think they'd probably lose worse than five now. <laughs> well, no, because we'd have them defend properly if I was in charge of it. Yeah, if you were in charge, but you know, if we put if we put Solskjaer, Solskjaer in charge of it, for example. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be, be in big trouble. We've got a bet as well. Haven't we, Josh, to boost morale? The podcast, uh, the podcast's gone a bit downhill. Huh? No, no, <laughs> no, no, no bet. No, no bet. bet. It continues to go downhill. No bet. We will, we will have a bet, I should say. We will have a bet. That will be on social rather than on here. And I'm going to stick my neck on the line and say that bet will include a Harry Maguire yellow card. The who score bets always include a Harry Maguire <laughs> yellow card. And <laughs> well, he did we get so, booked. He did get booked last week. We were so close last week. It was the 38 to 1. Um, 38 to 1 bet in the Liverpool game. Uh, we had three of the four legs, and the only leg that let us down was Fabinho because he picked up a, well, he was out injured with an unreported injury. So that bet was void, but we were close. Three out of four. I think he could have played and he wouldn't have got wouldn't have got booked because he wouldn't have needed to, to yeah, be fair. But he was a yeah. looker. Good effort. There was, no, there was no Liverpool bookings in that game. So good effort. Nearly forgot. Let's do the score predictions then. Uh, we have gone for 2 1 to, to Tottenham. We think it's going to get even worse for, for Oli. 2 1 to Tottenham. Jonathan? I've gone 1 I feel as like I've gone 1 1 and I have gone 1 1 and half the games this week. <laughs> but that's going after the three pointers because I, I, you know, I think 
I think some games each week should finish 1-1. So yeah. I'm saying 1-1 for this one. You could just go 1-1 for everything, week in, week out. And you might end up yeah, there. I think, I think if you did that, you'd probably only end up, what, you get maybe seven points a week, five points a week. Yeah, true, true. Oh, yeah. Which admittedly is better than what I'm doing at the minute. But <laughs> no, It's better than, yeah, well, none of us doing great in current form. I've gone for Man U to win 1-0. What, that's I'll take that. What's bad outside Palestine, I do not know. Spurs aren't very good. Let, let's face it, it could be a really boring game of football, this. Well, they are generally, aren't they, between Oli and Nuno? From the Man United Bulls days, they were it's pretty boring inspiring. games. Yeah, not inspiring at all. Let's catch up now with Sam Boswell, who's going to talk to us about what will happen if Manchester United do dispose of Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. Sam, welcome back to the show. Fond memories of me chatting to you last week, telling you that the Manchester United-Liverpool game would be a KG 1-1 draw. It was not, and they got pumped 5-0. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer now finds himself under a little bit of pressure, although he's probably been under pressure for his whole tenure. So we're going to look at the next Manchester United manager odds today, Sam. How is it shaping up that market? Yeah, I think, don't worry, Dan, you were pretty much one of the... We didn't have many customers backing 5-0 Liverpool, put it that way. A couple of optimistic uh, accounts based on Merseyside maybe threw a few quid at it, but not many. But let's talk about that next to go market where Oli now sits as two to five favourite to leave Old Trafford before any other manager in the Premier League. Uh, Daniel Fark's having a tough time, isn't he, back in the Premier League? He's a three to one uh, shot next in. Then it's huge prices, everyone else. Uh, Dean Smith of your beloved Villa, 14 to one. Next to go, obviously, recent form for them has been pretty poor. Uh, Nuno, we were talking, weren't we, about the Spurs, the Spurs United game potentially being El Sacco. He's a 16 to 1 shot to go now, which I think is one of the bigger prices I'd be quite interested to play. Uh, and then your 20s bar, really. I mean, we've got Claudio Ranieri in there at 20 to 1 just because Watford change managers more often than I tend to change my socks. Uh, Bielsa, he's not had a good season so far. He's a 25 to 1 shot. Uh, and then you're, you're basically into territory of safe managers. You know, Brendan Rodgers, to my eye, might only be a play if you think he's going to end up getting the job somewhere else. He's 66 to 1, I thought, might be a bit of a left field strategy to try and get that taken. But you're going to need probably Ole to be gone first, and he's a two to five shot and, and looks at the moment on paper the most at risk. Obviously, Conte is the, is the favourite for the Manchester United job. I think he's the, you know, he would be the sensible appointment, bearing in mind what he's done in the game and the state Manchester United find themselves in. After that, it doesn't feel like there's a lot really readily available. No, I think, unfortunately, there's been a if you think the last sort of 18 months or so, there's been a huge churn of, of top elite managers. And, and that's what Manchester United will go for. And that's why the market is screaming Antonio Conte. Time of recording is a four to five shot. And then everyone else is 10 to one or bigger. Um, you know, Zidane, I suppose, would, would on paper have that top club pedigree. But he never played in the Premier League and he's never managed in the Premier League. I think it'd be a, I think there'd be an element of risk attached mm. to bringing in someone like that, that that doesn't especially with the state of Manchester United at the moment you know they're going to find that, that they've lost the fear factor so when they go you know and play smaller teams away I think they've lost that element of fear factor and for Zidane I think it'd be a huge job you know we've got obviously uh, Eric Den Ten Hag is, is a very popular name for for loads of different jobs at the moment there were a couple of links to Newcastle he's a 12 to 1 shot Pochettino's the one, I think, if things at PSG continue to, to not work out. Uh, you know, he's another man that's got Premier League experience. He was well touted to United at previous points in his career. He's 16 to 1. But then you start getting names that you just, I just couldn't see, to be perfectly honest. You know, Roberto Martinez, 25 to 1. Can't see it myself. Laurent Blanc obviously did play for United for a period yeah. of time. He's 25 to 1 shot. Mate, mate, maybe they will want that connection. Um, we were joking about it in the office of all the 
of all the sort of uh, most illustrious British Manchester, British and Irish Manchester United former players. Who would we like to see? There? I'd love to see Roy Keane go there. Won't happen. I don't think he's sixty-six to one. Um, you know, you've got Nicky Butt shorter at forty to one. Can't see that at all for my money. Uh, Wenger, could you imagine it? What a turnaround that would be if you want an elite manager. He's probably a little bit too old for the job now, but he's sixty-six to one. Wayne Rooney, sixty-six to one. There's all these names out there. Steve Bruce obviously sat there without a job at the moment after his time at Newcastle, eighty to one. And Big Sam, if you need a rescue mission, surely Big Sam could be on the list. I don't think so. He's a hundred to one, but it's a it's a very difficult thing to see. I mean. You know, we, we can mention the elite managers, but there's there's just not many of them. I don't know if you've got any left field suggestions that you want to throw at me. Um, but Sir Alex, Sir Alex on the list. We haven't because Tension he's retired. Out of retirement. Tempting, look, people can always be tempted out of retirement. I mean, I think if it was sort he's of more likely taken, than some of the names that we've mentioned. No, and what I would suggest is if this was happening in the spring, United had say ten league games to go. We're out of all yeah. the cup competitions. I could I could foresee him coming back in that sort of role and just almost as a as a as a sort of shot in the arm for the supporters. I think United have just got too much still to play for this season. You know, you've got to think they they Ollie has to try and win something. The the club need to try and win something. They have the option of a couple of cup competitions. It's going to be fascinating to see how United get on. Uh, like I say, obviously with all these kind of markets, they fluctuate a lot. Do bet responsibly, but they're good fun for a, for a small bet. You can always end up with a very surprise appointment and be interesting to see if we're talking about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer still in charge at Old Trafford next week. Thanks ever so much to Sam. And just when I thought this podcast couldn't get any poorer, I'm now going to talk about Aston Villa against West Ham. Villa abhorrent last week, Jonathan. A clinic in how not to play three at the back. Yeah, it was weird though, isn't it? Because when they started playing three at the back, they had that good performance against Chelsea. When, okay, they lost 3-0, but they played well. They beat Everton, they beat United. And then the three games since have been three defeats. So, yeah. Um, and maybe that winning at United isn't as good a performance as we thought it was at the time. Um, so, yeah. Uh, it was working. Now it's not working. So, probably go back to the back four would seem to make sense. I'd be very surprised if Villa do line up with three at the back. The Villa fans, I can tell you on social media, all they're talking about is changing from three at the back. They seem to have a real dislike for it. But, Josh, I don't know how much of Villa you've seen, but at the moment, you know, they haven't had a fully fit squad to choose from all season, which has been a problem. You know, Leon Bailey is the main Jack Grealish replacement, in my opinion, has barely been on the pitch. And he's he's a very, very good footballer and Villa are going to need him to, to spend more time on the pitch to do well. But struggling to put things together at the moment. A lot of new players, lost Grealish, just struggling to find any rhythm and get the balance of the team right. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what Dean Smith does this weekend. Um, like you said, it's the first time that he's had all of his new players fit at the same time and it, and it's, there's going to be some some selection headaches especially up front i mean i i would i saw the i saw the arsenal game and i was at the tottenham game as well um and I know I, you were got, in the in the box josh taking my box bus <laughs> but i've got a, i've got a feeling we might see see like a 4-3-3 this weekend maybe um, Absolutely. i think i think jacob ramsey straight into midfield for me lovely goal against arsenal um, and I think it, we might see something like Watkins and Bailey out wide with, with Ings up front. But it's, it's been tough to judge Buendia this season. Um, it was so stop-start for him at the start. Um, and then he's he played out of position most of the time. Whenever he picked the ball up against Arsenal, by the time he looked up, it was like he ran into about three Arsenal players. Um, his best his best who scored right performance this season was actually against Brentford, where he played on his natural right-wing position. He, mm. scored, he scored and was the man of the match. But he's not even he's not played there since. But just because it's been a bit of a tough time for him, I can see him, not necessarily through his own fault, but I can see him dropping out. 
for the time being. Yeah, and he's the record signing, Jonathan, but playing as a number 10, it, it feels like a position that should suit him. We just just keep getting lost in there. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of number tens. Full stop in the modern game. Um, so, what you know, what his signing has done um, is it's relegated Norwich. Yeah, so it's made Villa safer in that sense. I'm already on the floor. I don't do not need that. <laughs> don't need that at all. But you know, so now you mean Josh, you're picking the team and saying that that, that you think he'll play and Bendeo won't be in the team. You know, that's that, that's your record signing. And there's not a space yeah. for him. So, Dean Smith, it's going to be hard to to, to organise things and get everyone in that team because Perslow, Christian Perslow, the chief exec, said it said himself they've bought three players to replace Jack Grealish. And history tells you that when you do do things like that, it doesn't always work. Villa's struggles, because they sort of go back into last season as well, don't they? At the end of last yeah. season, it's, it's only eight wins from their last 25 in the league. So, it's not great. And obviously, you've lost Jack Grealish for a lot of money, and you've you've spent, but you've also spent a lot of money, I guess, for, that you recouped. So, so Dean Smith's going to be under pressure sooner rather than later. I would, I would, I would assume. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going to be. It's, he really needs a result, I think, but not just a result. Maybe just a, an encouraging performance because the second half against Arsenal, when you reverted to that back four, was much better. But I guess by that point, Arsenal they they got the goal straight after half time, didn't they, to make it three 0 Yeah. And so, totally. so it, it was comfortable for them at that point. But but you, you just need you need something to happen. And obviously against West Ham, it's not an ideal opponent to play. Someone that's well, a team that's well drilled. It's not. It's not. It's going to be no, difficult. Dan, what, 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 would, what would you Villa fans say would be? You know, what, what would be a realistic target for where you should finish this season? Top ten. Top ten. Okay. I had a, I had loftier ambitions at the start of the season. I must say. No, I just, I just I was I was thinking this. I wrote a piece about Benitez at Everton a couple of weeks ago, and obviously things got got worse to them since. But you look at Everton; they've actually yeah they appointed as you know as, as you mentioned earlier they appointed some big name managers. They've, they've signed some good players. You know, I mean, people like Andre Gomes, um, Dekure, Allen, uh, Luca Dean. These are, you know, they're proper players. They're, they're mm. not sort of bargain basement players. They're the sort of players you think should work. And yet they're still sort of poodle about eight. I think it's really hard to to break into that next tier. Um, but, you know, Leicester have done it. But I think, yeah, essentially nobody else has, has really done that. But so the Tottenham and Arsenal somehow, it doesn't matter how bad they are, they still sort of have that that sort of mass that just sort of means they, they finish sort of in that sort of, you know, sixth to eighth positions. And it's it's very hard to nudge them out of the way. I think Thomas Frank said yesterday the gap between eighth and the bottom on an individual game-to-game basis actually isn't that much. You know, so you will see funny results. Not funny results, but results on paper that probably look look strange, but they're not because the gap isn't that big between them. Well, I think that's true. And I, I, I think... I th- yeah, I, th- I, mean, I think that's an interesting thing you could do each season is sort of say, where where is that gulf? And this season, yeah, Norwich are clearly firmly below it. But I, and I, I keep saying, I think Burnley are playing better than the results suggest, but they're struggling. Newcastle are struggling, but suddenly you've got, yeah, potentially, well, I, th- I think I was saying that they, they could spend 600 million this year and still stay within FFP if they didn't then spend anything for the next three years or whatever. Um your lead struggling at fourth bottom, but we know they're actually quite good when they have a have a full squad there. So I sort of feel that that, that sort of middle class in the Premier League has got has got bigger. Uh, and yeah, I think yeah. Southampton are a decent side, but they're really struggling this season. Yeah, they're easy on the eye, Southampton. Yeah, yeah, that, that's all true. I mean, Villa have conceded five set pieces in an hour. Probably one of the worst hours of football you'll ever see. So when you're having a problem defending set players, you really don't want to be lining up against West Ham, do you, Jonathan? 
Uh, you don't. And if I'd known, sorry, my glasses just fallen apart. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't. Don't even play West Ham. And if I'd known that stat, then I might have had a slightly different prediction to to what I've got. But I mean, West Ham are playing really well at the minute. Uh, six wins and a draw in the last eight, and that draw was against um, City in the League Cup this week, which they obviously won on penalties. So uh, they are, and that defeat was against Brentford, where arguably they were better side. So they are playing really well at the minute. I think they've handled the the twin demands of, of Europe and the and the Premier League far far better than I was expecting. Um, I, I always have this doubt with Moyes that I'm not sure his teams are fit enough, but that doesn't that looks like nonsense this season, frankly. Um, so I might have to reassess that. Um, so so yeah, it's uh, and yeah, as you say, that the, the, the major threat from set plays and the Villa uh, are letting them in. That that would that would ring alarm bells. Going back to my point right at the start of the podcast, Josh, I said if I was to pick a Premier League eleven, a balanced eleven, and I had about Tillemans as one of my one of my central midfield, Rice would be the other one. Yeah, sensational player, ungrateful. If, if certainly if I was in charge of Manchester United, I would have been looking at both of those players at, uh, over the next well last summer and this this there's the, summer. There's the new Manchester United midfield right there, Premier and, League uh, redder. It's yeah, he's he's been great, and and just to just to build on what Jonathan said about how they've handled the the um, demands of the league in Europe, I was also surprised. I think what Moyes has done, it, I think it was bold, but he he basically went very strong with his team selections for the for the start of the group stage, and it paid off. So they've won three from three. When when the fixture list wasn't quite as relentless, where he could perhaps feel that he could get away with playing them Thursday Sunday. Um, but now he's won three from three. He, can, he they're basically through, so he can he can he has a, he has room to to rotate when the like the fixtures are going to get relentless um, coming up into December. So so he can keep them fresh for the for the league. But whenever whenever he picked uh, Mikel Antonio, I was a bit concerned that he would get an injury. And I think there were a couple of instances in the Europa League where he he seemed to come up with a few bumps and bruises. But but yeah, they they've done so well. Uh, the concern as well was not re- not really replacing Jesse Lingard. I know they spent a lot of money on Vlasic, but. Lingard finished this last season so well. Would the concern was would they be able to to keep that up? And they have. I think at one point Pablo Fornell, Jared Bowen, and Ben Rama have all have all contributed. Uh, I looked into it, and across West Ham's nine league matches this season, at least one of Fornells, Bowen, Ben Rama, and Antonio have scored in seven of them. So they're all they're all contributing at different times. Obviously, Antonio's had a great season, um, and they they just they're so well well drilled. I think we, we've spe- we've said that uh, Villa, we have no idea how they're going to line up on Sunday, but you can nail on West Ham's team at this point. And they're really betting, benefiting from that. Yeah, I've got to say, I'm not looking forward to Sunday at Villa Park at all. Jonathan, what's your prediction? 1-1 uh, again. 1-1, one, one, I'll take that at the moment. Yeah, Josh? I slightly regret that I should have gone on West Ham win, but 1-1. One, yeah. one. Josh, what have scored got? We have gone for 2-1 to West Ham. 2-1 to West Ham. And I think it's one of maybe the first times I've predicted Villa to lose. Aston Villa nil, West Ham 2. West Ham are good. Villa aren't at the moment. I, just, I can't see Villa getting anything. Really sad to say. That does us for this week's edition of Edge of the Box. As ever, thanks ever so much to the guys for joining me. And thanks to you guys at home for watching as well. If you are enjoying the show, then if you could subscribe with your post notifications on, that would be absolutely fantastic. Hopefully you all enjoy the weekend's football. And as ever, stay safe.